Here they come. Right now, they're gathering from hospitals all across America for Talk 10 Tuesday. They know there's important news and information just ahead. Don't miss out. Come in, sit down, and log on. It's Talk 10 Tuesday with Chuck Buck and co-host Dr. Erica Reamer. Here now is the publisher of ICD-10 Monitor, Chuck Buck. Thank you, Clark Anthony. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 319th edition of Talk 10 Tuesday, brought to you today by ICD University. I'm Dennis Jones, substituting for Chuck Buck, and joining me this morning is my co-host, the very popular Dr. Erica Reamer. Dr. Reamer is the founder and president of Erica Reamer, MD, Incorporated. Good morning, Erica. Good morning, Dennis, and good morning, everyone. By the way, for those of you who don't know Dennis, he's the administrator of patient financial services at Montefiore Nyack Hospital in Nyack, New York. Thank you, Erica. Hey, this morning, our lead story is about MIPS, the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System. MIPS seems to be most misunderstood. Uh, You know that feeling. I sure do, and you know the whole program is constantly evolving. So true. Uh, reporting on our lead story this morning will be globe-trotting consultant Lyman Sornberger. Lyman will update us on MIPS since the deadline for eligible physicians to submit quality data for the value-added program was March 31st. Also this morning, we have you, Dr. Reamer, trying to resolve confusion about the type 2 myocardial infarction. Yes, we posted an article on this on ICD-10 Monitor. Also on the rundown, Lori will continue her reporting on more of the new code proposals from last month's CNM meeting. And a friend of this broadcast, and a friend to many, Stanley Nockinson, returns for his RegWatch reporting. A lot of news to report from Washington. We have much news to report this morning, so let's start our Talk 10 Tuesday listener survey. Today we're going to focus on elevated troponins and type 2 MI. I would like to apologize for the fact that I can't make these wordy questions and answers quicker to read. Here is the survey question. Which of these best represents your institution's issue with elevated troponins? One, no issue, appropriate documentation. Two, under documentation of type 2 MI. So, for instance, providers might use expressions like supply demand mismatch or demand ischemia. Three, excessive use of diagnosis of type 2 MI so indiscriminate use for any elevated troponin. Four, institutional policy to avoid the use of type 2 MI. Five, what is a type 2 MI? And six, not applicable. Thanks, Dr. Reamer. And we look forward to your discussing these results later in the broadcast. Let's check in with Dr. Larry Field at the Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk. The Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk is sponsored by ICD University, inviting you to register to learn the five steps to conquer coder confusion about spinal fusion during an exclusive ICD-10 Monitor webcast on April 25th. It features Lori Johnson. And here now is Dr. Larry Field. Good morning, Dennis. Thanks for having me again. Again, I represent the American College of Physician Advisors. Those of us that have been uh, in many of the listservs over the last uh, few days have found that a discussion about what Dr. Reamer is going, has done the poll on and we'll talk about again later. Uh, and I'd like to speak particularly to how we gain commitment um, to the issues that we're talking about and trying to do it in a civil way. And some of those uh, I've pulled out of a book uh, written by Mr. Ken Blanchard, um, trying to address ways that we speak with other physicians And ideally, we need to stay true to our ethical and moral values and try not to uh, attack people personally, but stay with the ideas. 
a lot of times if you start attacking people personally, um, the idea that you have is going to be lost in the manner that you're going at it. Remember that all of us that are involved in medicine truly um, love humanity. We've been doing this for a long period of time. I don't know of any physician or any other person that has worked in the medical arena that wakes up in the beginning part of the day and says, hey, let me go in and see if I can do harm today. I have yet to ever meet one, and I've been doing this for quite a period of time. So remember that all of us truly care about what we do and the patients that we are trying to help. And a lot of those times it may either be a friend or a family member um, or perhaps our neighbor. And most importantly, value and respect differing opinions. We can have discourse, and that's fine. Uh, We don't even need to agree to disagree. We can just disagree, but we can do it civilly. And that, by far, is the most important uh, message that that could be undertaken. And lastly, those of us that are trusted by others to lead, we need to do it with humility and make sure that we understand who we are and the benefits that we can uh, give forth by sharing good, solid information. Back to you, Dennis. Thanks, Dr. Field. That's a very timely report. That was Dr. Larry Field. Dr. Field is the treasurer of the American College of Physician Advisors. So it's Tuesday, April 3rd, and you're listening to the 319th edition of Talk 10 Tuesdays. Stand by. Talk 10 Tuesday is brought to you today by ICD University. April is National Parkinson's Awareness Month. ICD-10 CM coding of Parkinson's disease and associated complications is critical to data quality and integrity. Learning more about this disease, the manifestations and complications, along with documentation and diagnostic coding is vital. Accurate diagnostic coding can impact outcomes, quality scores, and reimbursement as demonstrated in an exclusive ICD-10 Monitor webcast available now on demand. Knowing the signs, symptoms, and associated complications of Parkinson's disease can help improve clinical coding and documentation integrity. Get the message from National Coding Authority, Glorianne Bryant. Go to the ICD University Bookstore to download this timely and important on-demand webcast on Parkinson's disease. Now's the time for our regulatory segment on Talk 10 Tuesdays called RegWatch, featuring healthcare industry expert Stanley Nockhamson. Good morning, Stanley. What's the latest coming out of Washington? Good morning, Dennis. Uh, a lot of things coming from a lot of different sources. I thought I'd talk uh, today about a number of items. One, uh, I'd mentioned a couple of months ago about a CMS proposal to increase the use of encounter data in determining the uh, reimbursement rates for, in, for Medicare Advantage plans. Uh, CMS did finalize that. They will be using more and more of the encounter data that plans submit to CMS in uh, estimating uh, the the fees that they'll be paying. What it means for our listeners is that the uh, encounter data that they submit uh, to their Medicare Advantage plans, it becomes more and more critical. Make sure that that encounter data is as accurate and coded as accurately as it can be. Make sure all of the uh, chronic uh, and and other elements uh, of the patient's condition are included in that so that they get the right reimbursement for that particular patient. Second thing that came out is a finalization, finalization of coverage of a new cancer test, the Next Generation 
sequencing tests. These are innovative personal, personalized medicine tests for Medicare patients with, with cancer. Uh, these tests were reviewed um, by the FDA and granted approval of the, uh, of the test on November 30th, 2017, um, and CMS has now finalized coverage at coverage for that. These are diagnostic lab tests using next-generation sequencing for patients with advanced cancer. These tests can be used as a companion diagnostic to identify patients with certain genetic mutations that may benefit from FDA-approved treatments and can assist patients and their oncologists in making more informed treatment decisions. Um, It also helps determine a patient's candidacy for cancer clinical trials. Very important uh, uh, coverage. CMS is recognizing the value of these tests um, and expanding coverage for Medicare patients. I think that's uh, good news for for folks that uh, unfortunately are in the position uh, of having uh, some of this, um, some of these advanced uh, cancers and the ability to now participate in in clinical trials. Uh, And what this shows us is that. Besides regulations and laws, we've got to pay attention to things like the national coverage determinations that CMS publishes. So hopefully everyone uh, is aware of those, this or has a source where they can get uh, the national coverage uh, determinations issued by, by CMS. Uh, I, I'd really appreciate it if people take the time to look for that. Third thing I want to talk about, uh, I'll, I'll expand a little bit. Um, the Budget Act that was passed a couple of months ago, the thing that uh, Congress passed to ensure the continued operation of, of the government over the next two years, contained quite a bit of information on uh, that, that impacts reimbursement in the Medicare and Medicaid areas. And also, uh, because uh, Lyman Sornberger is going to be talking about MIPS, some changes to MIPS. So even though people uh, were paying attention to the fact that a Budget Act was passed, um, the details that impact reimbursement were not necessarily well publicized. I'll just talk about a couple of them. The repeal of the Independent Payment Advisory Board that was created under the Affordable Care Act um, that never really got going and has now been um, uh, eliminated. So we don't have to worry about that. Um, there was a uh, delay in the Medicaid disproportionate share hospital payment cuts, uh, things that hospitals receive for treating a greater portion of low-income vulnerable patients. Uh, These things help support safety net hospitals, so that's uh, important that these cuts were delayed. The MIPS modifications, uh, again, something that impacts uh, physicians paid under uh, Part B, what, what this law did was exclude Medicare Part B drug costs from MIPS payment adjust, adjustments and low-volume thresholds. The Part B, Medicare Part B drug costs are often very expensive. Uh, these are drugs that uh, um, can uh, certainly help patients but are often very costly. Congress said we're not going to uh, adjust the payment for that uh, with the MIPS adjustments gave CMS a lot of flexibility for another three years in scoring and in setting performance thresholds. So what was included in the original law uh, need not necessarily be followed. And also the weight given to the MIPS cost category was zero the first year, uh, pegged at 10%, but we expect that uh, the weight for costs will not be included uh, very much uh, 
in the in the near future. Very important uh, for that. So again, a lot of stuff coming out. People really need to keep uh, abreast of what's what's going on in in Washington, and hopefully, I'll be able to do that over the next several months. Uh, thanks. Back to you, Dennis. Hey, thank you, Stanley. That was Stanley Nockhamson. Stanley is the founder of Nockhamson Advisors, LLC. We continue our reporting on the outcome of last month's Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting. Now with more on the proposed new codes and some information on the opioid epidemic, here's Lori Johnson. Good morning, Dennis and Erica, and I promise that this is my last Coordination and Maintenance Committee update until next September. A reminder that the Coordination and Maintenance proposals for diagnosis codes are scheduled for possible implementation October 1, 2019. Comments are needed and due by May 11, 2018. You can see the handout tab on the screen um, for all the information about commenting. I want to talk about um, drowning and submersion occurring in natural bodies of water, which is a code that was requested by the United States Life-Saving Association. Drowning is the third leading cause of unintentional death worldwide. Category Y92, which is place of occurrence, does not include any natural bodies of water. The proposal is to expand Category W69 to include open sea, open bay, or I'm sorry, ocean bay, ocean waterfront, Great Lakes, and etc. A few of the injury code requests include exertional heat stroke, which occurs in healthy people performing strenuous activity in a hot environment. This proposal impacts subcategory T67.0, which would be expanded to the fifth digit. The other traumatic code request is for orbital roof and wall fracture. This proposal was presented in March 2017. There is a lack of a specific code for orbital roof, which was the concern of the American Academy of Ophthalmology. There was significant debate this time regarding the proposed structure of the new codes. The last injury code request is for multiple drug ingestions when the drugs are unknown. The proposal adds new subcategory T50.91 with the sixth character consistent with the table of drug and chemicals. The intent of these codes is not to replace the multiple drug ingestion when the drugs are known. The guidelines in the classification are clear that when drugs are known, each drug should be coded. And I guess I misspoke. I should have said another traumatic code that I will discuss is the traumatic brain herniation. This condition is reported um, important from a clinical perspective, but there is not a specific code to capture it. Non-traumatic brain herniation was not included in the proposal, but consistency will be needed. So, your again, your comments are requested. There is proposal for pyuria, which is needed in the classification as well. Currently, pyuria is coded to N39.0, which is urinary tract infection. In order to differentiate pyuria from a UTI, a unique code is needed. The proposed code of R89.81 would be in the signs and symptoms chapter. 
There is also a proposal to delete codes from subcategory H81.4. These codes have laterality, which is clinically incorrect. So it's a, a unique proposal in which we would delete some codes. One last point I want to um, provide is, um, which is not related to the Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting, but the topic that's frequently discussed here on Talk 10. The CDC is reporting that the number of opioid overdoses in the ED increased 30% from July 2016 to September 2017. So that data is very telling that this is becoming a real public health issue. So back to you, Erica. Thanks, Lori. That was Lori Johnson. Lori is the Senior Healthcare Consultant for Revenue Cycle Solutions, LLC. Dennis? Thanks, Erica, and thank you, Lori. As we reported at the top of the broadcast, MIPS, the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, seems to be misunderstood. Moreover, March 31st was the deadline for eligible physicians to submit their quality data for this value-based reimbursement program. With more on this developing story, globetrotting healthcare consultant Lyman Sornberger. Good morning, Lyman. What's the latest on MIPS? Good morning, everyone, and thank you, Dennis and Erica. So as you know, the quality payment program QPP, uh, has, or AKA MACRA, that was designed to lighten clinic, clinicians' quality and administrative efforts may have some serious regulatory concerns. The new QPP program has had some serious pushbacks from providers regarding the new requirements for patient-facing time, care, and the reporting requirements that most providers and technology platforms are not prepared to support today or in the new f near future. And I stress that um, with working with a number of organizations who are trying to meet the reporting requirements in particular in most of the technology platforms today that exist that are state-of-the-art are not prepared to support it, nor are the physicians well-prepared. So Dr. Kate Goodrich, um, the CMO of CMS, stressed that the updates at her session on March 13, 2018, in Washington, D.C., stated the following. So from a reporting, CMS will work with providers, hospitals, and vendors to improve the reporting that's not currently congruent in terms of the consistency and the requirements. So I, basically, she stressed that uh, they recognize the problem from a technology platform as well as even a data, data extraction. And as Stanley mentioned, a couple of things. They have a new concept where they're talking about extracting data from the electronic medical record that is more provider-friendly. And with those adjustments by CMS, um, they're going to try and develop something more around meaningful use. So they're trying to maybe delve a little bit more into the EHR and make that more of a reporting extract, but certainly in, in the time constraints that they've already put out there, that is not doable in today's venue. 
She did note that the new provider-based incentive web-based measures inventory tool, CMIT, that was launched in November 17 um, was introduced to increase transparency and coordinate the measurements across all the conditions and populations. I'm not sure that that's totally going to work for the industry today, but that is something that she tried to emphasize. And then finally, as Stanley mentioned, the, the BBA, or the Bipartisan Budget Act, signed in February of this year, will reduce the MIPS cost category to close to 10% through 2021. And it removes the BBA um, Medicare cost factor for the Part B drug cost for the MIPS payment adjustment that Stanley mentioned as well. In summary, Dr. Goodrich basically said that they were trying to work with providers and their concerns, but uh, timing is of the essence. So on March 26th, just as a little um, debrief, MedPAC, or the Medicare uh, Payment Advisory Commission, stated that they recommended that it was not, that MIPS was not recommended to Congress as a needed change for today and recommended a new program, can you imagine that, voluntary value program called VPP. So more to come on that thought, but that's kind of uh, uh, the Reader's Digest of where we are today. Thanks, Lyman. That was Lyman Sornberger. Lyman is Chief Strategy Officer for Capio Partners. Dennis? Thanks, Erica. And thank you, Lyman. And you can read Lyman's reporting on MIPS in today's ICD-10 Monitor e-news. We continue now with our poll and Dr. Reamer's discussion on Type 2 MI. So our survey asked, which of these best represents your institution's issue with elevated troponins? 19% say that they have no issue that they have appropriate documentation. 34% see under-documentation of what they um, believe to be type 2 MI. 8% say excessive use of diagnosis of type 2 MI, which would lead probably to clinical validation issues. 1% say that they have an institutional policy to avoid the use of type 2 MI. 8% are very excited to hear what what I'm about to talk about because I'm going to be explaining what a type 2 MI is. And 28% it was not applicable. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to try to sort out the current classification of myocardial infarction for you. In October of 2012, an international task force of cardiologists published the current classification in a sentinel paper called the Third Universal Definition of Myocardial Infarction. Before you let any provider argue with you whether type 2 MI is real or a contrivance made up to jack up quality metrics and reimbursement, make sure they have read this statement. It establishes the standard of care by cardiologists. Ischemia is a muscle crying out for more oxygen. An infarction results when ischemia is prolonged and cells die, releasing their proteins. Troponin is one of those muscle proteins. The different configuration of cardiac troponin from that of skeletal or other tissues is why we can tell specifically when there is myocardial injury versus other muscle injury. Myocardial injury is the term for death of cardiac cells releasing biomarkers like cardiac troponin T or I. Myocardial infarction is a subset of myocardial injury. 
it is defined as the death of multiple cells which results from an ischemic mechanism. Other disease processes can also result in cell death, but the level of troponin often distinguishes from those, uh, those conditions from Frank myocardial infarction. The AHA article, which I referenced above, defines myocardial infarction as having two features. The first is having a trend up and or down of cardiac troponin with a measurement exceeding the 99th percentile of the upper reference limit. Why or down? It depends on when the patient presents for evaluation. If they present late, the delay may mean you only catch the trend on the downswing. The second element is having the cell injury on the basis of ischemia. A patient who has a stab wound to the heart is not having an MI, but he may have troponin release. I believe the article inelegantly states this because the criteria include, quote, symptoms of ischemia, close quote. If a patient has crushing chest pain or dyspnea or even fatigue, you could associate these as ischemic symptoms. But both the article and clinical practice tell us that there are folks who are asymptomatic with ischemia and infarction, such as diabetics, the elderly, and critically ill patients. Let's explore the MI types for a moment. I'm only going to focus on types 1 and 2. Type 1 is on the basis of atherosclerotic coronary artery disease and may be from plaque rupture or thrombosis, resulting in necrosis in an anatomic distribution, like an acute anterior wall myocardial infarction. A type 2 MI is from supply-demand mismatch without mechanical obstruction. The supply is decreased, like in aortic dissection, coronary spasm, or shock, or the demand is increased, like sepsis or hypertensive emergency. Both types of MI increase resource utilization, like requiring cardiology consultation, repeat EKGs and troponins, possibly CCU care. The treatment is vastly different. Type 1 MI may need urgent catheterization with coronary intervention or thrombolysis, whereas the treatment for a type 2 MI is treating the underlying cause. Providers are having trouble documenting type 2 MIs for several reasons. First, they don't understand the classification system. Second, they don't understand that we try to capture diagnoses and codes because they have risk adjustment implications and are meant to depict the patient as being as sick and complex as they are. Next, there's auditor aversion. The coding department is bought into reviewers trying to eliminate type 2 MI especially before we had a unique code for it, which came in October of 2017. So, providers use the phrases demand ischemia and supply-demand mismatch to avoid getting burned. I think of it this way. Ischemia is to type 1 MI as demand ischemia is to type 2 MI. Prolonged ischemia leads to infarction. So, what to do? If a patient has a troponin that trends up and down and exceeds 99th percentile of upper limit of normal, an underlying condition which might be resu- resulting in a supply-demand mismatch and doesn't seem to have a type 1 MI, the troponinemia should be diagnosed and coded as a type 2 MI. Query if this scenario occurs without some explanation of the abnormal troponin. Encourage early uncertain diagnosis for elevated troponin and then evolve and resolve if type 2 MI rules out. If an elevated troponin is constant or low level, an alternate diagnosis should be made, and the provider should explicitly rule out type 2 MI. Here's an example. Troponin 0.28, 0.29, 0.30, 0.31, 0.32, 0.33, 0.34, 0.35, 0.36, 0.37, 0.38, 0.39, 0.40, 0.41, 0.42, 0.43,
0.30.30. Do not believe this is due to type 2 MI. Suspect troponin leak from heart failure. If they don't explain it away, but you recognize it does not meet criteria, don't query. I recommend you read my full article published in ICD-10 Monitor. We want to take excellent care of our patients and have them look as sick in the medical record as they were in real life. I hope this helped. Dennis, back to you. You can read Dr. Reamer's very important article on this subject on ICD-10Monitor.com. That will be a wrap for our 319th edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. Eric and I want to thank our guests today, Dr. Larry Field, Lori Johnson, Stanley Nackamson, and our special guest, Lyman Sornberger. And we hope you'll be right back here next Tuesday for another edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. That's when Chuck Buck returns with a special program about women physicians. I'm Dennis Jones. Speaking on behalf of Dr. Erica Reamer and everyone here at Talk 10 Tuesday and ICD-10 Monitor, have a great week. Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD-10 Monitor.